a great complement to what we read here in Isaiah chapter 6. Revelation chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance, and there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion, and the second creature like a calf. And the third creature had a face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. God is holy. Friends, we need to be reminded today that there is no one like God. And there is no one greater than our God. Hinduism worships 300,000 gods. They're false gods. God is greater than all of them. He is the greatest. He is a cut above. There is no one or nothing like our God. And therefore, he cannot be compared to anything or anyone. Someone told me this one time, like, think about having a theology exam or a Bible class, and one of the questions of that test would say, define God, give two examples. (laughs) It's impossible, right? I remember seeing a t-shirt in a Christian bookstore. I don't know if you remember, there used to be Christian bookstores. And um, I remember this t-shirt. I would go there sometimes, look at the commentary section. And um, it was a t-shirt. I think it was cute. I'm sure the people that came up with it had good intentions, but it was trying to compare God to the things of this world. And so it would say things like, God is like Coca-Cola. He's the real thing. God is like Pepsi-Cola. He's the choice of a new generation. God is like Tide. He gets the stains out that the others leave behind. Okay? No. You cannot compare God to anyone or anything. So stop trying. God is so much greater than anything you can fathom or imagine. He is greater than anything this world has to offer. Do you believe that? And so I would ask this morning, as we're gathered as a church, do you know him? Does he know you? Does he know your name? We'll look at verse four back in Isaiah six. 
and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. Wow, what a scene this is. There have been many church surveys done over the years by Barna and others, and many people have said they do not go to church because it is boring. Well, I can tell you this for sure, Isaiah was not bored the day that he walked into the temple and saw the Lord seated on his throne. He saw the Lord, he saw the God, the creator of the universe in all of his glory. There is nothing in this world more thrilling or more exhilarating than that. Well, how would you describe Isaiah's emotions to this? How was, what was his reaction? How was he feeling after seeing the Lord in all of his glory? That leads to our second point this morning, and that is the guilt of all mankind. The guilt of all mankind. Verse five, then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah says, woe is me. Isaiah was a prophet, and a prophet would often pronounce or declare woes on the wicked, Upon the unrighteous. Woes are curses. Let's look at an example of this. Just one chapter back in chapter 5, beginning in verse 18. Should be really close to where we are this morning. Isaiah 5, 18. Woe to those who drag iniquity with the cords of falsehood and sin as if with cart ropes, who say, let him make speed, let him hasten his work that we may see it. And let the purpose of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come to pass that we may know it. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. Woe to those who are heroes in drinking wine and valiant men in mixing strong drink who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Isaiah pronouncing woes here, curses upon the wicked. But when Isaiah saw the Lord seated on his throne in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his splendor, and when he heard the seraphim crying out to one another, holy, 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 or separate is the Lord of hosts, Isaiah pronounced a woe upon himself. Woe is me. Cursed is me. Isaiah in this moment was able to see that God, you are holy and I am unholy. You are perfect, but I am unperfect. You are sinless, but I am a sinner. Woe is me. I am ruined. And he says here, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Friends, this is what happens. This is what sinful people do when they are in the presence of a holy God. When they contrast themselves against a righteous God, they say, woe is me. Cursed is me. I am ruined. And that meaning there in the Hebrew is like 
a ball of yarn that is completely unwound or unraveled. I want you to see an example of this in the Gospels. Turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And let's begin reading in verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing but I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. Verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. This is what happens when sinful men and women are in the presence of a holy God. They are undone. They recognize their guilt and the weight of their sin. And this is what should happen to you and to me when we try to compare ourselves to a holy God. We should recognize our sin, our rebellion against a holy and perfect and righteous God. Friend, do you know today that you are a sinner? Do you understand what the Bible says that all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God? I have a great vantage point up here this morning. I am looking at a room full of sinners. But at the same time, you're looking back at one up here, right? I would say I'm the chief of sinners, but Paul already took that title, right? That's his. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. We have all missed the mark. One of the girls in our, our FCA is on the rifle team, and they are always aiming for perfection. Just a little millimeter off could cost them an entire match. You're trying to hit that target. We've all missed the mark of perfection. God's holy standard is perfection, and we have all failed miserably. This is bad news. It was bad news for Isaiah and it is bad news for us because if we remain in this condition and do not repent or turn away from our sins and place faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will spend all of eternity in a place called hell. It's a place of torment. It is for all eternity where there is no relief. The Bible describes it as a place where the worm does not die, where the fire is not quenched, where the thirst is not quenched, and where the fire is not extinguished. And so you may be thinking right now, wow, Kirby, this is pretty heavy. This is your final time to preach for a while. You're bringing it in heavy. I came here today to be built up, to be encouraged. I wanted to hear a positive message. It's been a tough week. 
I remember hearing this story from R.C. Sproul many years ago. I think it was, he, the context was he was in a class with his mentor, Dr. John Gerstner. And John Gerstner was talking about the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. And R.C. Sproul went up to Dr. Gerstner after his lecture and said, Dr. Gerstner, after hearing you talk today, you made me feel about this tall. And Dr. Gerstner said, that's too tall. <laughs> Friend, you need to understand that God is holy and you are unholy. That God is sinless, yet you are sinful. That God is perfect, and yet you are imperfect. You need to know you are lost before you will ever see your need to be saved. Amen? Let's get to the good news. Number three, the good news of the gospel in verses six and seven. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, behold, this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. The seraphim here gave Isaiah exactly what he needed. His mouth and his lips were unclean. His mouth and lips were cleansed here by the seraphim. And this is indeed a picture of the gospel. This is the good news. Isaiah's mouth and lips were touched with the burning coal. That would have been painful to go through. But repentance is painful. It is a turning away from the flesh and the world and the devil. Sin can be fun. I work with a bunch of college kids who love sin. They love to go out and, and do the things of the world. The lust of the flesh and the pleasures of this world are indeed enticing. But that fun is temporary. It does not last. It never will satisfy. It's never enough. And so repentance is a turning away from sin and unto God. Again, as I said last time, it's, it's a 180 degree turn, not a 360, right? We turn from the world and we turn toward God. We repent from our sin and place faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord gave Isaiah the very thing he needed. He needed cleansing. He needed the forgiveness of his sin. And that is what you and I need more than anything else in this world. We need cleansing. We need forgiveness from our sin because we have, we have sinned against the holy God. We need the gospel, the good news. And that good news would tell us that though God is holy and perfect and spotless and righteous, and though I have sinned against God and I have done so repeatedly, I'm a professional sinner, I'm, the be I'm really good at that, my sins have separated me from God. Although I am helpless and hopeless, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners and enemies of God, it was at that time that Christ died for us. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. I love those times in the gospel where one verse really encapsulates the gospel and Paul writes there that God made him, God took Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My sin for his righteousness. The greatest trade in history, right? 
I don't know if you know this, but I really love sports, and uh, I don't know if that's come out or not. But um, in 1982, I was 12 years old, and I remember this vividly. The, par- the Padres and, a, and the Cardinals were involved in a trade. The Padres uh, got a guy from the Cardinals named Gary Templeton. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't. That's who the Padres got. The Cardinals got a guy named Ozzie Smith. What a trade for the Cardinals. The wizard, they called him. But this trade is even greater. My sin for the righteousness of Christ. The very thing I need to stand before a holy and righteous God without being consumed, without being destroyed. And Paul would write in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Have you placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been made to be at peace with God? This is your greatest need, to be forgiven of your sin and to be at peace with God because before the gospel, you are at war with God. You are at enmity with him. So trust Jesus today. While today is still called today, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. Well, what was the result of Isaiah's salvation here? We see this good news. We see that he is cleansed. What happens after he is forgiven by the Lord? And that leads to our final point today, and that is the gratitude of the believer. The gratitude of the believer. Verse 8, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah says, Here am I, Lord, send me. Isaiah is no longer cursing himself. He's no longer pronouncing woes against himself. He is no longer fearful of God and no longer fleeing from his holiness. Now Isaiah is in a right relationship with God. He is loved by God and he loves God. And so when the Lord, the same Lord, says, whom shall I send? Who shall go for us? Isaiah's hand shoots up. And he says, here am I, send me. Isaiah loves the Lord. The Lord has saved him and has forgiven him of his sin. He now wants to serve him because of what God has done for him. And here's a great reminder that we are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. Major difference, right? We are not saved by our good works. We are saved for good works. My works do not save me. There's no amount of good I could ever do to please a holy God, but my works serve the one who did save me. It's an act of worship unto him. Friend and fellow believer in Christ, this should be your response as well, knowing who we were and what God has saved us from that our response to him would be gratitude, that we would say, here am I, Lord, send me. Use me for your glory, for your purposes. Help me to walk in the works that you prepared for me before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 2.10. I love Isaiah 6 because we see in these eight verses, really, this is the summary. Number one, God is holy. Number two, you are not. Number three, repent and believe the gospel. It's right there. God is holy. We are sinful. 
we need to repent and believe the gospel. And if you have done this, here's the good news. I want to build you up today. If you have trusted in Christ, your sins are forgiven. You are bound for heaven and the best is yet to come. Aren't you glad this is not our best life right now? It's not so great. Look at the world. Look at all that's going on around us. Our theme for FCA nationwide this year is the word greater. And I just want to conclude and just encourage you with this, that there is nothing greater than knowing Christ. I love when Paul in in Philippians chapter 3, you know, here's a man who who walked with the Lord, who preached, who did those four missionary journeys. He wrote half of the New Testament. But as he's writing the church at Philippi in chapter 3, he says, I want to know Christ. He wants to know him more. That is his goal, to know Christ. There's nothing greater than loving Christ, nothing greater than loving the one who first loved us, being in a relationship with a holy God. And there is nothing greater than serving Christ. So I want to encourage you today to serve him and to serve him well, serve others well in this church, in this community, and knowing that this is for your good and this is for the glory of Almighty God. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for Isaiah. Thank you for this incredible narrative that was preserved and found its way into the canon of Scripture for us, for our good, for our edification. Lord, that this was a real event that Isaiah walked into the temple and saw the Lord himself seated on his throne, lofty and exalted. God, you are holy. You are separate from us. You are nothing like us. There's nothing we can compare you to, no thing, no one in this world. You are a cut above. You are holy. But Lord, we have missed the mark. The mark was perfection, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who does good. There is no one who even seeks after God. We were helpless and hopeless and depraved. We were dead in our sins. And Lord, unless you had come and made us alive, we would remain have remained in that dreadful and dead condition. But we are thankful today for the gospel that you brought cleansing and forgiveness to us like you did to Isaiah. You've cleansed us from our sins. You have removed our sins. Lord, you remember our sins no more. You have cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again because Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree. Lord, help us to be a grateful people. That we would just be reminded today again of the gospel and what you have done for us. That you first loved us. You loved us when we were your enemies. You didn't love us when we had it all together. You loved us when we were dead. You made us alive. By grace, we have been saved. All our boasting is in you, Lord. And with the time that you give us on this earth, whether that be 70 or 80 years, Lord, as we read from Psalm 90, may we use our days well. Teach us to number our days, to live them for you, to proclaim the gospel, to serve others.
that everything we would do would be for your honor and for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.